Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Are you thinking about the future of business? I would say the future is here. We're living it with the explosion of artificial intelligence, chat GPT, and other technology advancements. I'm wondering, as many, how is high technology changing behaviors, changing the way we live and work? Will customer experience and employee experience get better or worse as robots take over what we've known humans to do? My guest today, Brian Solis, a world-renowned digital anthropologist, eight-time best-selling author, speaker, and VP of Global Innovation at Salesforce, has intriguing views to share with you. He also reveals personal advice from his book, Lifescale, that teaches us to be better leaders and human beings with more focus, especially in our digital age. I love this episode and believe you're going to get a lot of value too. Please share it with others who can benefit and subscribe to Doing CX Right podcast on your favorite channels to get updates as they release. I'd appreciate if you leave me a review as well. Feedback is a gift. Now let's get on with the show. Hello, Brian Solis. Welcome to the Doing CX Right show. Stacey, that's what I, right in there with energy and enthusiasm. It's really, really wonderful to be here. Is there any other way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, uh, there are, and they're not my my preferred methods of engagement, but I love positivity. I love enthusiasm. So uh, it's so infectious. So thank you. Yes. Well, I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. I've been following you on social media and a fan of your content and books. So we're going to get into some of that detail. But before we do, please tell my audience, who are you? What do you do professionally? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. My name is Brian Solis. Uh, I've been a longtime analyst, purveyor of all kinds of things around innovation in Silicon Valley since the mid-1990s. Uh, I've been a startup advisor, uh, helped, I think, launch over a thousand startups in my time. Uh, and then somewhere along the way, uh, once I became an analyst and started writing research about the future of where everything was going, I set my, my focus on enterprise organizations, big companies, to help them I felt like they needed the most help to help them turn around, to help them steer in a new direction as the world was never going to go back to business as usual, never going to go back to any kind of normal that we once knew. Uh, and that's, uh, that's when I decided that, uh, let's see, after publishing maybe 60 research reports and you know, eight books, I felt like the time was right to join Salesforce as their VP of global innovation uh, to help companies directly change instead of talking about that change. Uh, and then along the way, I've been also a digital anthropologist and a practicing futurist to make sense of how technology was changing markets, uh, changing people, uh, really understand from a human-centered perspective how to help businesses transform, but also how to innovate. So that's, uh, that's about 30 years there in, in, uh, in a few, few minutes. 
tell me why your passion around innovation and technology and all the things that you've been researching. What's your why? I don't know. It's, it, you know, at first it was. It's one of those things that you just sort of stumbled into, right? I didn't. I didn't go to school for any of this stuff. Uh, I I moved to Silicon Valley in the mid '90s from Southern California because. I just had always loved technology. And at that time, it was really still about hardware. And as I moved to Silicon Valley, the internet started to become a thing. Web 1.0 was on the rise. Silicon Valley itself was transforming. The startup boom uh, was starting to really hit. Uh, It was just so exciting. And I think what I had noticed right away is that it was really easy to get caught up in the tech. I mean, it's Silicon Valley after all. But I think the same is still true. You know, you think about all the trends that are happening today, metaverse, Web3, NFTs, augmented reality, virtual reality, mm. still very easy to get caught up in the tech. But I think my why early on was understanding that people were always going to be affected for better or worse. And to understand what those impacts were, I could help companies, technology companies at the time, and ultimately businesses of all, of all industries, understand how to use technology to build better relationships, better experiences, better products, better services, better business models. So it was really just trying to make, like Steve Jobs once said, a dent in the universe. And my dent was helping companies become more meaningful, more relevant, uh, more, more, uh, I guess, people-focused might be a good a good way to put it. Mm. People-focused, and yet we've got technology replacing people. So it's... Uh, a little bit of a paradox. <laughs> but we'll you know, get to that I, too. I, I, I want to I make sure we... we, we you know, for people who, who are listening or watching this, that's a really important point, Stacey. And I know you're going to bring it back up, especially in an era of automation and AI. But I do want to say that I'm a hopeless optimist. And I think the only time that people get replaced by technology is when their managers or leaders don't believe in helping people skill, reskill, upskill for the jobs of the future that are needed today, that are underserved. People don't have the skill sets necessary to, to do the jobs of the future. 76% of people say they don't feel like they have the skill sets to, to do the jobs of the future. So there's this gap between where people are and where people can be and how leaders and managers help them get there, how teachers, how, how parents help people get to where they need, rather than kind of going through the same old linear paths of learning and the hierarchical ways of growing, to understand that this is actually the moment in time where I think you said it in our prep, this future is already here and it's time to do something about it. And if no one's helping you, then you do it. You know, this is, if you look at the, uh, the top you know, jobs of the future according, or the skills of the future according to the World Economic Forum, they're all soft skills like creativity, listening, critical thinking, empathy, creativity, you know, leadership. Uh, so it really is actually uh, approachable by all of us uh, to do something about it today. And so not to take, take us on a, on a detour there, Stacey, but I, I feel really passionate about like this being the time for us to do something about it. Which is probably why you wrote Lifescale. And we'll talk about that book as well. Before we do, tell me, what's a fun fact that people may or may not know about you, personally or professionally? Oh boy, so many things. Uh, I love to ride motorcycles. I 
trying to learn how to surf. <laughs> uh, Joe trying to trying to pick up mountain biking, trying to get outside. You know, put the phone down and get outside and do more fun things. That's uh, that's a few things. And then the last thing, I, it's not. It's, it's anyone who follows me on social media. It's not a secret. I love a good glass of champagne. Oh. That's good to know forever in person together, for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. So let's talk about now, first of all, what's the future of business? You, You explore a lot around adapting and thriving in a rapidly changing landscape. You've written about what's the future of business. So tell me, what are some trends at this point in time that you think we need to be really mindful of. Yeah, you know, as a as a little little Easter egg, when I started writing, what's the future of business as a book, as a as a podcast series, uh, as an ongoing uh, article series? I did so intentionally because I wanted the moniker of WTF. Uh, so, what's the future? Uh, and WTF to me would always bring a smile on the face. Plus, I was on the book. I was able to get a big WTF on the cover, which was fantastic. Uh, but it's also because how how you know I I often feel uh, how I know a lot of people often feel you know with change coming so fast and furious uh, that it's hard to get your your arms around it. It's hard to get your brain around all of this stuff. So you know the trends that are hitting us today. The trends that will hit us tomorrow are always going to be about acceleration, about doing more, maybe with less, about finding ways to use technology to scale, grow, adapt, increase efficiencies. But really, the the trends that I'm paying attention to are the ones that are going to change behaviors, behaviors with employees, behaviors with customers. Uh, And a lot of those things can be around what we're seeing today already with Web3, anything that's on the chain or blockchain, uh, things like, I, I want to say virtual worlds or a metaverse, but really this idea of a 3D internet, uh, much like you know how we have a 2D internet today. Uh, the web will also coexist where you're going from standardized 3D websites to 3D websites. Think about immersive shopping. Think about immersive entertainment. So that'll that'll be a trend that, uh, that'll that'll definitely change behaviors here on the horizon and sort of augmented with. AR and VR, and and most importantly, what we're going to see from Apple in the next two years with Apple Glass or whatever it's called, and the ecosystem that it's going to introduce to support that, which is super fascinating. But in the end, in Silicon Valley, well, in any innovation shop, human-centered design is is uh, is a real big deal. So whatever trends you're paying attention to or you're looking at automation, AI, you name it. Every single one of those is going to have a potential and a likely impact on how people shop, how people behave, how people work. And paying attention to that will allow you to see different problems and also to see different solutions to those problems because you don't have to be disrupted by all these things. You can actually be productive you could be creative, you could be imaginative so that you're in front of these trends and you're surfing them like a wave rather than the wave crashing down on you and forcing you to have to try to paddle and react to everything. Mm. So right now in this moment, there's a lot of hype and chatter around chat GPT 
and how artificial intelligence is rapidly changing the way we work. I know, by the way, that maybe in a year from now, maybe in six months from now, we're going to look back and and laugh at the conversation we're having because I think that we're at the beginning of this explosion with this chat GBT that just happened. So with that said, where we are right now, what's your perspective on this AI technology? Yeah, you know, chat uh, GPT, Lenza, Dolly, all of these projects, you know, especially those powered by uh, OpenAI, for example, is one big public endeavor to have people at scale train the AI brain. Uh, so even though it's a novelty for a lot of us, uh, it's, helping, it's helping the system to learn. Uh, and it's improving its ability to be artificially intelligent. It's also very fascinating in that you know you look at some of the early adopters uh, around ChatGPT, uh, and it just makes you it makes you smile or laugh or or be horrified uh, in that students are using it to do their homework, uh, and it's and it's you know for the for the most part it's it's actually become a problem pretty quickly. Uh, so it, thinking of that as an example, it shows you how willing we are as a race, as a human race, to let go of our own intelligence and give it to the robots to go do certain things rather than taking our work, our writing, uh, our homework in this case, uh, you know, to, as a chance to expand our own brains. And so ironically, you know, we're almost letting the robots do, do our jobs uh, for us rather than learning how to augment that technology to improve our work or to be more creative in our work. And I think it's I think it's a healthy I think it's a healthy endeavor to be honest with you in that with the right mindset meaning that we're going to approach it to see how we can use this technology to do things better, to challenge ourselves to be better, then we can grow as workers, as artists, as students. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I gave myself, uh, I'm writing my next book, I gave myself an exercise to see if ChatGPT could write better paragraphs around subject matters than I could. Could it be more artistic in its expression, more, uh, more empathetic, uh, more immersive or embracing? And could it simplify difficult concepts? And I'll tell you, I, it was very scary to see how well my competition uh, works. <laughs> and uh, it did challenge me, though, to 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 think more, to be more present, uh, to be more in the moment, uh, so that I could be a better version <laughs> of of an artificially intelligent writer. I'm fascinated by your use of the word competition because I never thought about it that way. Yet, in a sense, it it is a blessing and a curse. Yes, indeed. Indeed, if you think about, it used to be called Jarvis, and I forgot what its new Jasper's. Yes. It's a new name. It's yes. the same thing. That's also based on the OpenAI project, uh, and it is right. basically what GPT uh, or ChatGPT is doing is that it uses the same brain uh, to develop content for writers, bloggers, authors. So, in a sense, right. it is. I hope it doesn't get to this, but it is in a sense doing the work that you and I do 
in the hopes of maybe easing our workloads, making it easier to write, training the brain to be better for other writers. But we're giving up an important part of our creative muscle, our artistic ability, our creativity, our ability to express or communicate. Uh, And those are important, important skills that we have to hold on to. So I don't use any of those services. I've been tempted to because, you know, there's never enough time in in the day to do all of these things. But I I, I think purposely, I want to hold on to that stuff. I'll find other ways to use it, maybe research, maybe maybe things that I don't don't necessarily have to uh, lean on in terms of uh, my own expression. But it is fascinating to watch people dive into it. And and look, it, there are there are uh there's services out there for example that just started to sell AI powered artwork uh and or license it. Yeah. And if you know, if all you have to do is describe what you want AI to create or if you draw a few strokes and AI imagines it as something wonderful, I think that just sort of strips out the ability for us to to exercise our brains uh, and our creative muscle, and I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let that one go. Yeah, I agree. I just, in fact, played around with Dolly too, and it, there's a lot of interesting technology. With that said, and I agree with you, we cannot lose our creativity. That's that's something that, gosh, we have to figure out a way where it's the augmentation, it's not the replacement. With that said, what about chat, GBT, AI, all these platforms that when it comes to improving customer experiences, customer service agent experiences, any predictions on how that will be valuable? Uh, it, it's it's really going to come down to this mindset. You know, how do we see these technologies, right? We see, for example, some of the low hanging fruit or the early adopters, like students, using it to do their homework. With the right mindset, we can ask questions like you just asked. How can we use this these technologies to improve the customer experience or the employee experience uh, in ways that we hadn't imagined before? So I'll give you an example. Uh, I, I work with a company at Salesforce called Conversica. And Conversica is a partner company that adds sort of chat GPT-like intelligence into a conversation, whether you know you might think of it as a chatbot type window. But chatbots in, in their design mimic more like IVR-like programming. So decision trees. If this, then that. And so it, it sort of, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't sort of, it strips out the humanity out of engagement. But we don't think about it that way for some reason. No, no person in their right mind wakes up and wants to engage an IVR system or a chatbot. Yet we put it out there in front of the customer because in our own minds, we think that that's, that we're using technology to help customers find their answer or get their get their support. But in reality, we're just delivering horrible experiences. And the word experience is in customer experience. So the way I think about it is this. What does experience as a word mean? It means an emotional reaction to anything. And you're going to have an emotional reaction to an IVR system or a chatbot, and it's going to not be a good emotion. It's going to be a negative emotion. 
And it's something to keep in mind that when it comes to technology, for it to be truly human-centered, we have to think about the humanity of it, the emotionality of it, the psychology of it, because there are only two moments a customer or any human being will remember about any moment. A moment that sucks or a moment that's brilliant or delightful or wonderful or special or personal. Everything in between those two extremes is forgettable. And <laughs> we're designing for either horrible or forgettable moments. The best companies in the world are designing for that delight, for that emotionality. And that's where I think many companies miss the mark on technology because technology can do those things. It can make your brand or your business or your experience more human, but you have to design it accordingly. So technologies like Conversica or ChatGPT or, or companies like Soul Machines that are creating uh, digital humans, uh, these are all wonderful opportunities to use technology to make more meaningful experiences for customers rather than this let's get something cheap in there to scale and engage people so we don't have to use expensive human resources to address these things. You know, I, I, I believe that with the right mindset, all companies can use these technologies to completely reimagine the customer journey, to reimagine touch points, and to be better at developing customer relationships because they got to. Right? The next disruption, it might be a pandemic, it might be something related to climate, but it's always going to be companies that figure out how to do better at engaging people. And there will always be people who use technology to get further away from people. One of those is mm. going to win. Well, that's powerful. Yes. So your newest book, Life Scale, talks a lot about how we need to be more focused. There's so many distractions with thanks to technology at our hands. And this most of this time we've been talking about technology and how it can make us more efficient. Yet at the same time, there is this paradox. Talk to me about this book and what you want people to understand, especially as technology is exploding rapidly. Well, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, it is, of the eight books I've, I've published, it's the first and only personal book. Uh, every other one of them was focused on the future business in some, some application. So the importance of this book is that it's also, you know, I've also studied how technology is designed to be distracting, how technology is designed to change your behavior. Uh, if you think about Instagram or uh, Snapchat or Tumblr or TikTok, each one in their own right is designed uh, with processes called persuasive design. Uh, and it is because they have to change your behavior, your behavior in their favor so that they can monetize your attention. Uh, and the more you use these products, uh, the more you use these services, the more uh, it has to keep you enthralled and keep you engaged as a creator and as a consumer. Uh, and though the thing that they didn't study was what were the longer term effects of changing your behavior from capturing your attention and holding your attention. Uh, and those studies didn't really start to happen until recently. 
I the only reason I started to to, to engage those studies earlier uh, was because I found myself affected. I was trying to write another book, and I just couldn't couldn't engage my brain the way I had used to for deeper deeper work uh, for flow uh, because it was just constantly trained to be distracted, and that. Research. We could we could do a whole show that talks about the the scary things that I learned about that. But in a sense, what I realized was that I wasn't going to be happy living my life at at that pace uh, and at that superficial level. I needed to get back to creativity, to deep work, to flow, uh, to be able to think differently, to find patterns, to solve problems, uh, and to do that, I had to rewire my brain and my biology to not be distracted. Uh, and it's an art and a science. Uh, it turns out that I spent two years researching how to do that without giving up these things uh, because you know I, can't, I can't, just can't do that these days. But I wanted to take control rather than let it control me. So... The book Lifescale is about that journey. First, it, it explains sort of what's happening to us, what's happening to you. It explains certain behaviors that we do today, the reasons behind those. Uh, and then the rest of the book is really about recentering your life for this new world because it's only going to become more distracting. It's only going to become more immersive. We're going to wear things on our face at some point. We're going to we're going to embed things under our skin at some point here. Uh, so. It is a, it's a lifestyle choice to be scalable for an intentional, purposeful, more creative, more meaningful life. Uh, and so that's, that's the foundation of the book. And I'll be honest with you, uh, even though it solves these problems, it's not a book that people were ready to pick up. You, know, it's, you have to know that you, you have a problem or you have to feel like something's off or something's wrong and you have to want mm. to do something about it. And I learned that in a world where you have technology like ChatGPT and students use it immediately to do their homework for them, that, <laughs> that people uh, don't want to do the hard work. Uh, so of, of the books, I think it's the, um, it's the hardest one that I found people to embrace. <laughs> uh, I hope that changes over time. And certainly, you know, in a, in a world that got accelerated by being digital first in 2020, I am seeing people pick it up and intentionally try to improve their lives. But boy, boy, what a journey to learn that that lesson. Well, we might need it the most now. So timing is everything. Well, as we're getting to the end, I'm going to give you some rapid questions before we uh -oh. uh, wrap okay. up, which is, <laughs> uh, first of all, What's the best leadership advice you've been given or you've given to someone else? Rapid, huh? Okay, here we go. Uh, I'm going to lean on, on uh, one of my, my previous bosses. Uh, his name is Dan Post. Uh, he used to say, uh, always embrace three words. And I actually tell this story in LifeScale. Be, do, get. Visualize who it is you want to be and why. Then do the things that help you become that person today and thus eventually get that desired outcome. By doing the things today, 
of who you want to be tomorrow. Mm, I love that. What about your advice, the one takeaway you want people to remember? Imagine if you had tons of CEOs and leaders in my room right now. What do you want them to remember? You are not your customer and you are not your your employee. That you all need an undercover boss moment to remember what it feels like to be the customer, to be the employee, to be empathetic, to realize that what you think and what they know are in fact two different chasms and it's only getting further and further apart and that people feel like you don't get them, customers and employees. And they need you to have that undercover boss moment because now more than ever, in a world that is increasingly uncertain, in a world in a world that's increasingly faster, that leadership, not management, leadership is more important than ever. People need mm-hmm. new skills. Customers need to feel valued. Technology can help you get closer to them, can help you make things more personal, help them improve how they work or how they shop or how they live. And not understanding who they are, not understanding their challenges or their problems, not understanding their future and the trajectories that we're going on is going to put you further and further away from being that leader that they need today. So hopefully hopefully that resonates because boy, do we need new leaders in this new world. 100% for sure. And last question, if you could go back in time to your younger 20-year-old self based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell younger Brian? (laughs) So many things. I constantly think about all of the things I just didn't know in my 20s and in my 30s. And it would be to understand that the things that you're going to value aren't actually what's important when you get older. Uh, and the things that you value, the things that you learn, the things that you, you tie around the notion of what it means to be successful and what it means to be happy are actually the very things that take you off the path to being truly happy uh, and truly successful. And I would sit my 20-year-old self down and actually write and show the path toward those outcomes uh, mm-hmm. Because I wouldn't believe myself if 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 I were the same twenty something person, so I would need to see it and understand how to connect those dots. But that's that's where I'd start anyway. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing your wisdom, and I'm going to add in the show notes where to find your books and your website, and connect with you on your social channels. So, thank you so much for being here. And um, I look forward to probably going to pick up the first one of being a life scale because we really do. I need it now. There's so many distractions. So (laughs) I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening or watching. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.